Good morning. It's good to see everyone out for this worship service, for another day to study God's Word and be with His people. I invite you to open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 6, as we'll be starting there in just a moment. Ephesians chapter 6. But as I already said, it's good to see everyone out and good to have some of the visitors that we do with us. You're a delighted guest, and we ask that if you haven't been able to, uh, if we haven't been able to speak with you, just stick around for a few minutes afterwards so we might get to know you a little bit better uh, before you go on your way. Again, if you want to go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 6. This morning, what I want to do is focus on uh, pre- predominantly this passage here in Ephesians chapter 6 at the end of this epistle of Paul as he's writing to Christians and writing about their, their lives as Christians. I want to talk about something just a little bit more serious because when you get to about verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 6, there's this admonition from Paul. He says, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And he's not just saying that in passing. He's not just saying that for no reason. This is something that you probably need to remember. He's about to go through the why. You need to be strong in the Lord. You need to be strong. You need to be uh, convicted of his might. Because God says that we are in a spiritual battle. And frankly, I think too many, uh, even Christians, almost act like, it's not that serious. What we're doing is just playing a childish game. And, and maybe as you go throughout the day, we kind of treat it that way. When, when you, know, you just think about how you treat little games that you, that you would play with, with a child, or maybe just as you're competitive with one another, you, you, know, you, you just say, oh, well, well, you sunk my battleship today. I'll get you tomorrow. Well, you, you don't say that to the devil because we're not, we're not just talking about a, a silly little game. We're not just talking about, you know, we've, we've lost the round. What we're talking about here is, is a serious conversation of spiritual warfare. We are in a battle. And it's not just something that we get to begin for one segment of the day and say, all right, well, it's time to go to work. It's something that is constantly in front of us. We are living in hostile territory. If you are a Christian. And that needs, I don't think we need to be terrified, but it does need to make us cautious, wary, and prepared. We need to be thinking in those terms so that way we are preparing ourselves, trying to become strong in the Lord and and in the strength of His might. And so, again, we're not talking about a silly game here. We're talking about losing precious souls for eternity. That's why this is such a serious conversation. Now, even saying that, for some, that wouldn't even stir certain people up. Because to a degree, we may not say it outright, but what we think is, well, it's not me. Or it's not someone at least that I love or that I care about very deeply. Let me tell you something. That's easy to say right now until the day comes that it is your family member. That it is someone that you care about very deeply. And how pitiful that day will be, how pitiful we will be when we look back and think about after everything that has been done, everything that has not been done, how little convicted we were, what little faith we had, how little preparation we put into this. In verse 12 of Ephesians chapter 6, he says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. This is This is a battle not to be taken lightly. Now, even reading that, some may think, we're fighting an incredible battle. 
what are the chances that we are going to win against that? Well, God says, just a verse prior to that, and this is what I really want to focus on. He says, put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. This is a very difficult battle that we're in. And we are living in hostile territory. But what God says a couple of times is, you will be able to stand firm. There are lots of people that would suggest otherwise. There are lots of people that would say, well, you really, there's really not much that you can do. God says otherwise. And so I want to look at this passage, uh, just a portion of this passage for a moment this morning. Beginning in verse 10 again, it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day. And having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith in which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And, and we're just really going to focus on these verses that we just read for the majority of our time this morning. Because there, there's a couple things, two main things that I want to take from this. First of all, that Paul says, God through Paul says, we are able to stand firm. Because again, it's not like these temptations are necessarily, you know, just minute little things that we don't really have to think about. They make us think. They make us struggle. That's what they're designed to do. That's, that's the whole purpose. The devil wants us to be uncomfortable, and he wants us to struggle, and he wants us to struggle to the point where we think we won't be able. But what Paul says over and over is, yes, you are. And so I just want to focus on this for just a moment. We actually talked a few weeks ago about Genesis chapter 4, that story of Cain and Abel. And what does God say to Cain as his countenance has fallen? He says, don't you know that sin is crouching at the door and its desires for you? Your countenance can be lifted up, but you need to master over it. You need to subdue that temptation. You need to subdue that sin. You need to make sure that it does not master over you, but you need to master it. And so from the very beginning, it's clear that we can overcome. And we're not going to focus on that too much. I just want to begin with that because it, uh, it's just a good review. It's a good place to start. That literally at the start of the story, God says, yet you are able. Even all the way back then, and we even talked about Abel and Cain this morning during the Bible class. So he says, we can overcome. Not only that, but over in James chapter 4, James chapter 4 and verse 7 what does James say to these Christians? But submit therefore to God, res resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And we're gonna, you might just put a bookmark there because we're going to be coming back to James chapter 4 later on in the study. But just in verse 7, he says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. I like when the Bible uses certain language. Here he doesn't say, you know, you can try your best. Don't know if that's really going to help that much or if it's going to do anything. What he says is, you resist him, he will flee from you. That should be encouraging. That should be a confidence booster. But I would just add to this, that in verse 7 here, this is not just a suggestion. It is a commandment. We are commanded to resist the devil. Now, what does that indicate to you? I'll tell you what it indicates to me. Is that if I'm not striving every day to resist more and more 
If I'm not striving every day to submit to God and continually resist the devil more, uh, with more effort and more energy, I'm sinning. Because it's a commandment. We either obey or we disobey. And so we need to be careful that we don't fall into the subtle deception that we are resisting when really we're, we're just kind of coasting. It's, it's a continual battle, and it's something that needs to grow stronger and stronger every single day. Well, over in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, this is another very important, and I, I say very important passage, very important verse when you think about the battle between sin and temptation, or with sin and temptation. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, you probably could quote at least most of this verse, but it says, No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. And I didn't just choose that verse because it even has that notion of you will be able. But it just kind of works out that way. But the, the main reason that I wanted to come here is because what God says is there is not one situation that you can possibly encounter that you will not be equipped for. Now, that comes down to am I, have I equipped myself? And we're going to get to that more in just a moment. But even in the most dire circumstances, we can resist Temptation. We can resist the devil. Again, that should be confidence boosting. That over and over again, and not just to one set of Christians, but to several, from the Corinthian church to the church in Ephesus, to the Christians that James is writing to, you can resist, you must. And God does not command us to do the impossible. But he gives us even more than just the commandment that we can be assured in, that we can be confident, faithful in, but he gives us a little bit more information that should help us. You will not encounter any temptation that's too hard. You will not encounter any situation that's too difficult. But I tell you, sometimes people act like there are situations that are too difficult. And people say, We're, I'm just stuck here. I'm stuck doing something that I shouldn't be doing. Are you really? No matter how strong the desire, God says, you are able to resist the devil. No matter how weak you feel, you are able to resist the temptation. No matter how hopeless it feels, no matter even the cost, and I tell you, I think that's one of the main things that people sometimes feel stuck in. It's the cost of carrying your own cross. It's just too much. Guess what? God says you're able. And so from, from the weakest moments where I feel like I'm just struggling with sin, or maybe it's something where I'm counting the cost and I don't know if I'm going to be able to endure that. God says you can, but only with my help. And so these are just the very foundation of the lesson here that we are able to stand. So what I think we need to take from all this is we need to start acting like it, especially if we are not. We need to act like we can actually stand. When God says, yes, you can, stop doubting so much. In fact, I think sometimes people start crossing a line and start basically implying that God is a liar because I just, I can't, I'm stuck here. The first step of acting like we can resist temptation is acknowledging that this isn't a hopeless situation. Acknowledging that what God said, I can have trust and faith and confidence in. We have to stop acting like we're not able to resist against sin. People say, I can't help it. <laughs> People say that there's really just no other choice that I could have made. Are you sure about that? People say, I was forced into this. No one forced you to do anything. 
No one forces any one of us to do anything. A lot of times when we lose our temper, that's what we say. Well, I was just forced into this. No, 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 you weren't. People may have been poking you all day. And it's not to say that the, the people that you know, were involved in this situation are completely innocent. But you aren't either. Because guess what? Your wife doesn't make your choices for you. Your husband doesn't make your choices for you. And so you can't point to them and say, you should have seen how they were acting all day. And so you know what? That gives me permission to sin, lose my temper on them and lash out and say all kinds of hateful, terrible things that are not for me to say. No, you, you made that choice. You decided that your pride was, was too much to lose. And so you decided to lash out. That was a choice. No one's, no one's forced to. It's a matter of I have decided that this is what's best. Instead of deciding what God says is best. And, and, and again, I think that a lot of times this just comes down to, uh, it, it may come down to more things, but, but particularly two things. A lot of times it's just people that are lying to themselves or lying about the situation. I think about Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 15. The commandment was you completely, utterly destroy the Amalekites. Enemies of God, enemies of God's people. And what did Saul do? You know what? We did a good job. We had, we had a pretty good victory, but I'm going to spare the best of what I think is, is, is glorious and glorifying. And actually, I'm even going to spare the king. And when Samuel comes in, what does he ask? What, what is going on? God said to destroy everything, and yet I'm hearing sheep. What happened, Saul? And Saul gives his excuses. Oh, well, you know, I just knew that this would be better. I knew that we could do more with this. This would be glorifying to God. What is Saul doing ultimately? He knew what God had commanded. He's lying about the situation because he doesn't like the consequences he's about to receive. He's going to receive them anyway, but he's lying about the situation, whether it's just to himself and trying to soothe his own conscience with that or trying to just lie to Samuel and therefore lie to God. I just... What else, could I, what else could I have done? Because the people have the, their own mind. They have a mind of their own. They're going to do what they want. They're not going to listen. You're the king, dude. <laughs> and so he's lying about the situation. Not only that, but I think maybe if it's, not, if it's not just we're lying about the situation, I think it comes down to we just have little faith. Turn over to Daniel chapter 3 very quickly. Daniel chapter 3. A beautiful story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as they are encountering consequences, they're facing a cost of following God, the fiery furnace. But look at what they say. Nebuchadnezzar, he gives them an ultimatum. You can either bow to the idol and all is forgiven, or you can go ahead and die in the fiery furnace. You choose. And look at what they say. Look at what, look at what their response is to that. Daniel chapter 3 and verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do, not, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But look at this at verse 18. But even if he does not... Let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. What did they say? God is more than capable of delivering us from your evil. But even if he doesn't, <laughs> guess what? We're still not going to bow because he is far greater than you. He is far greater than this dead image of wood and stone and gold. 
That is, that is true faith. And guess what? These men had this kind of faith. They were this bold in their statement when in view of the fiery furnace. What scares me is that there are so many people today, I think, that sound so different from these men in much lesser afflictions and situations. It's not... I either got to choose to follow, I either have to choose to rebel against God or choose to follow him right into my death. A lot of times it's, I'm going to have to choose to rebel against God or maybe suffer some relationships lost. And I'm not saying that's not difficult, but come on now. What's, what's a harder choice to make? To be just as bold in the face of a painful death or just lose a couple friends? Or maybe someone comes, comes to this ultimatum and says, I either have to rebel against God or I have to choose him and maybe let go of some activities that I used to participate in, but God said I can't have anymore. Much lesser afflictions. And yet people do not have this same level of faith as these men. And why? Because they're acting like they have little faith in the promises that God has given to them. They... They think that we're, there's just nothing that we could do. There's no other choice we could make. You had, every, you had every option but to choose against God. And so we are able to stand, against, to stand firm against temptation and sin. And so we have to start acting like it. We have to actually trust in God and start doing those works like we talked about in the Bible class to make sure that we are resisting against temptation. And so for the next part of this lesson, I really just want to focus on something else that Paul says at the end of verse 13. He says twice that you will be able to resist temptation, that you will be able to resist the devil. But in verse 13, he says, and having done everything to stand firm. This may be the main question we have to ask. It's very clear and it's certain that we are able to stand up and stand firm against temptation. The question is, have I done everything that I can to do that? Because frankly, when we fail and when we fall, it's not God's fault. It's because I haven't done everything I could. And so very first of all, we read in verses 14 through 17 of Ephesians chapter 6, God says, put on the full armor of God. Or Paul, uh, God through Paul says, put on the full armor of God. So my first question is, have you equipped yourself with the full armor of God? And, and, and notice that when he talks about this armor, does he, does he say that we need some of the armor, that some will do the trick? Or does he say, you need to put on the full armor of God? What does that mean? You need every bit of it. You don't get to pick and choose which parts you want. You don't get to pick and choose, I think I want the helmet, I'm not going to take the sword. I think I'd rather have the breastplate, nothing else. First of all, as we're going to see in just a moment, that's, it just looks foolish. It's stupid. But I think a lot of people do this sometimes. It would look so foolish for a soldier to go out in just a breastplate and nothing else. It would look foolish for him to go out in just a helmet and nothing else. It would look kind of, it would look kind of humorous. We, it's, it's, not as, it's not as easy to see the, the absurdity when it comes to the spiritual applications. Sometimes we just don't put on the full armor of God. Now, how do we do that? thinking about the soldier especially in, in these times who would put on all of these different uh, all of these different coverings that would make sure it protects different body parts and we even have armor today it doesn't look the same obviously different some different weaponry but it still has the same function it's protecting all the different vital organs you have from head to toe now thinking about that suit of armor how comfortable would you be knowing that you had to go into battle maybe maybe with your helmet but without a sword 
You had, you had to go and you had to fight hostile enemies. But you were going to go and fight without a sword. They're all carrying their own weapons. How confident would you be in that? No, you, you would think this is a lost cause. You would think there is no possible way that I'm going to win when I am not fully equipped. And you'd be right. It's foolish. It's humorous to see someone do something like that. And yet, how many Christians go by every single day without cracking open their Bibles? What did it say in verse 17? What is the sword but the word of God? There are a lot of Christians that would say, hey, I've got everything. I've put on the full armor of God. But the one thing that they lack is not bringing their sword with them every day. How many times have I only opened my Bible during the Bible class on Sunday, or maybe during the sermon on Sunday morning, maybe Sunday, Sunday evening, and then Wednesday evening, but never outside of that? What are you doing? If you're a Christian, you are literally walking in hostile territory without the proper weaponry. What chance do you have? You have none. You're ill-equipped. You're ill-clad. And you are opening yourself up to be the first target. How confident would you be, keeping with the suit of armor here, to go into battle without a helmet, but nothing to protect your body? Just a helmet. Again, we talked about how foolish that would look, and it's comedic when you try to image it in your mind. But I think this is the man who wants salvation, as, as you know, keeping with the imagery here, that the helmet, we have a helmet of salvation. But what is the breastplate? It's of righteousness. And I think that this especially, it doesn't just, it does not just describe many Christians today, but it describes much of the religious world and much of the world for that matter. They say, I want salvation. I want salvation more than anything. But then when push comes to shove, you start talking about the difficult commandments that God gives. You know, at least they view it as difficult. And they say, I don't want to do those things. What are they saying? I don't want to do the righteous deeds, the righteous works that he says have to go along with attaining that salvation. But that's a lot of people today. Guess what? You can't have one without the other. All of this has to be unified, harmonious. We need the whole armor of God. Otherwise, we're just a quick and easy target, frankly. And so we're walking hostile territory. Have we equipped ourselves with the full armor of God? Again, keeping with this kind of language, have you prepared yourself? In verse 15, it talks about being shod with the preparation of the gospel. I think preparation is key when we're talking about being able to stand firm. Because guess what? The devil does not wait for you to be prepared. The devil does not wait to strike for when you're least expected to give in to that temptation. Guess when he strikes? When you're least prepared. He strikes when it is the best opportunity for him. When it is most likely for you to fail. We need to be preparing so that we're not caught off guard. And, and frankly, I think that this is, one of the main, this is one of the main pitfalls of Christians today. It's that we think everything's fine because everything's going okay, but we're not preparing for when it's not because it's coming. Contrary to popular belief, contrary to what, you know, what everyone desires today, preparation is required. In 1 Peter chapter 3, 1 Peter chapter 3, <clears throat> Again, another familiar passage, but beginning in verse 14, just to get the the whole thought. We'll begin in verse 13, rather. It says, Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? 
But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed and do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence and keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile you, your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. When it talks about being ready to give a defense, that means you've already put time in to being ready. You're not going to be ready if you haven't prepared beforehand. And, and let me just say, just adding on to that, in verse 15, how do we sanctify Christ as Lord in our hearts? It's, it's through that pre preparation. If we are not willing to prepare, how can you say you have sanctified him as Lord in your heart? You're not willing to be led by him daily. So am I preparing to give an answer or am I waiting for a question to be asked? Then, then I'll figure it out. And I'm not saying that sometimes people are going to ask us questions and we're going to have to know, you know, immediately, every single time we're going to know the answer. That's, we're not going to. But at the same time, it shouldn't be that every question that's asked, oh, you know, I, I just don't know about that. I'll have to get back with you. I have to get back with you. I have to get back with you. There should be a sense in which we, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against thee. And so when someone asks, why is it that you're not participating in this particular activity that everyone else is, I can be ready to give an answer and say, this is why, because it's a sin against my God. Would you like to hear more about that? Or am I going to have to shoo them away because I just, I just can't give that defense? Faith is supposed to be a shield to us. It really is. And, and, and again, I think sometimes people can go way too deep in this kind of, in the, in the, in the kind of imagery and they focus on every little part and they try to expand a, a lot on all these things. And, and, and I think sometimes we can do that. But, but again, this is supposed to be a suit of protection for us in our daily lives. And so as he talks about faith being a shield to us, our faith will be as fragile, it'll be as ineffective as a shield made of paper if we are not preparing ourselves with the gospel. Again, all these things go hand in hand. You want a strong shield? Are you preparing yourself with the gospel? Ephesians chapter 6 in verse 18. We didn't read this initially, but I think it goes right along with the text here. Because right after he talks about this, this uh, full armor of God in verse 18, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And we'll stop there. I know it's in the middle of a sentence. But I think prayer is one of the key components to being protected in this battle. What, what are we supposed to be doing? We're supposed to constantly be in contact with the commander. We're supposed to constantly be in contact with the king, with our God, while we're in this battle. I think sometimes we let this go because, again, things are good. And then when things are bad, we have no confidence in prayer. We have no confidence to go before God in that way because we haven't, maybe, maybe just we haven't had the experience, we haven't had the practice to. If I am not praying when things are good, I will not be confident ever when I pray to God when things are bad. I'm going to be constantly looking for other things that will help me, you know, help me actually win the fight. And that leads us away from God. So are we letting the gospel prepare us or are we letting something else prepare us? Next, I want to focus on righteousness as he talks about putting on this breastplate of righteousness in verse 14. Over in Romans chapter 13, Romans chapter 13, 
in verse 14. He says, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. Now, what are we doing when we put on Christ? We are trying to be righteous as he is righteous. We are trying to look and make the same decisions that he would make. We're trying to follow in his footsteps. Now, to truly put on Christ, that not only means that you have denied the lusts of the flesh, but it also means that you will give no provision for it. Because, you know, you kind of have to take this in steps. You have to make the decision, I, I'm going to put all these things away. And that's a good start, but it has to continue to grow. It can't just be that you put them away, but that you not even entertain those thoughts. You can't let that foster more lust. You can't let that foster more sinful desire in our hearts. Over in 1 Peter chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 2, in verse 11, it says, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers, kind of like the language in the Bible class this morning, to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. What happens a lot of times is instead of starving the lusts of the flesh, we feed it. Now, people either just keep it alive and try to hide the fact because they're just not willing to let it go, or they, they think that they've let it go, but what they're doing is they're, they're feeding it scraps so that way it doesn't die off completely. And again, what does that sound like? It sounds like entertaining the thoughts. It sounds like not cutting them off when it enters our mind. It sounds like not making, not making sure that we never come into contact with those temptations. Taking the, you know, going the extra mile. Taking the extra step to make sure that we never come in association or, or contact with those temptations. We have to starve those lusts of the flesh. Now, how do we do that? Over in Ephesians chapter 5, just a chapter before uh, what we were just reading a moment ago, Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 16. Remember what Peter said, that this wages war against the soul. In verse 16 of Ephesians chapter 5, he says, uh, Ephesians chapter, yes, Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 16, making the most of your time because the days are evil. Uh, Galatians, it shouldn't be Ephesians, it should be Galatians. I was wondering what was going on there. Ephes Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desires against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. What are the things that we please? We're trying to do the works of God. We're trying to do good works, righteous works. We are hurting our chances. We are hurting ourselves when all we want to do is try to look more like Christ, but we haven't dedicated ourselves to turn from evil completely. We're just, we're just not really making the decision. We've acted like we've made the decision. But really what we've done is just say, I'm, I'm going to ride on the fence a little bit longer. Because this wages war against the soul, and it constantly uh, uh, conflicts our emotion towards God. Over in Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, Paul says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. What does it take? It takes a renewal of the mind, not a continuation of the thoughts, not a continuation of how you used to think. It has to be completely transformed. And I think sometimes Christians fall here because we think, you know what, I think I had a good understanding beforehand, and so I'm just going to keep going in that direction. No, you have to come to the scriptures. You have to come to the gospel and say, I know nothing. Only you do. Have the same kind of statement that Peter did with Jesus when he made the good confession. Where else could we go 
You have the words of eternal life. Who else does? No one. And so I'm only going to look to this word for that transformation, for that renewal of the mind. And if, if we think that we have, if we think that we're struggling in that area where we're not doing the righteous things that we should, that we're struggling in putting on that kind of righteousness, following after the footsteps of Jesus, then we need to come back to this thought. Have I really allowed him to transform my mind? Or has someone else helped me come to these decisions? So we need to be careful about that as well. But finally, I just want to ask, have you done what you can to resist the devil? Again, back in Ephesians chapter 6, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 13 he says twice that you have to put on the full armor of God so that you can stand firm, so that you can resist the evil day. In James chapter 4, we started by looking at that, how God says that we need to submit to him and resist the devil so that he will flee from us. Have you ever looked at the context of that passage, of, of James chapter 4? Look at all of the... <laughs> Think about all of the context of what he's been writing to when he's been uh, beginning this letter to these Christians. He starts by saying, count it blessed when you encounter various trials and tribulations. Why? Because it produces endurance. And so from the very beginning, what they're thinking about is the afflictions, is the persecutions, is the sufferings. That's not necessarily how you want to start a letter. You kind of want to start on a, on a more, uh, maybe a more positive note. But he says, you are suffering in these ways. You need to rethink how you encounter these things because it is producing something good in you. It's producing endurance in your faith. And continuing on, thinking about those same afflictions that they would go through in verse 1 of chapter 4, it says, What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source of your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and you do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You're, you adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us, but he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So, so what is the context of that notion of resisting the devil? Well, in the first few verses there, verses 1 through 3, what he talks about is, again, doing what you can. What is the source of the conflict among them? What is the source of their issues, of their sinfulness? It's their pleasures that they haven't put to death. Again, the same language that we were just reading in 1 Peter chapter 2, the pleasures that wage war against the soul. They were not willing to give that up. And so it causes more strife. And so we have to ask ourselves, am I rooting out the source of conflict in my soul? Or am I making sure that it just lives on just a little bit? So that way I never truly have to let it go. What he says is, you're, you're going to end up in the destruction. You're going to end up in the judgment. In verse 4, we have to ask ourselves, am I doing the same thing? Am I trying to get by by staying on the fence, not choosing one camp or the other? We know what happens when we just sit on the fence. When we never make the real decision to follow God, what happens is really what you've decided is to choose the devil. Because that's what the devil wants. He wants us to be confused. He wants us to be distracted and think that really I'm on God's side when actually he's the one that has his grips on us. 
we are held captive and we don't even have any idea. And so are we sitting on the fence or have we made that decision fully? But I think one of the main uh, passages to look at is verse 8. How do we resist the devil? Well, is submitting therefore to God. In verse 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. What does he say? How does God draw near to us? We have to draw near to him. We have to seek him. And what he says is, you will find me. You knock and the door will be opened. As we started at the very beginning, am I drawing near to God every single day? Have I drawn near to him? It's not, have you done it once? It's, are you striving actively, constantly trying to get closer and closer and closer to him? If we aren't striving for that, to get closer to him every day, if we're not striving to equip ourselves, if we're not striving to prepare ourselves, to put on righteousness, if we're not striving to be closer with God every single day, we will fail. We will fall because we haven't truly equipped ourselves. So Paul says, you will be able to stand firm in the evil day. So what is it that is keeping you from fulfilling that command? Maybe you're a Christian, you've given yourself to Christ, and, and you've let some of those sinful desires back in. Maybe you've been feeding those sinful desires for some time now. You think, how, what am I supposed to do now? Because maybe it's, there is a lot of embarrassment in having to confess those sins. There's a lot of embarrassment maybe when it comes to having to maybe talk to some people. I would say, trust your brethren. But, but even still, there's steps that you can st take. Start feeding the Spirit and begin starving the flesh. That's the steps we need to take to get closer to Him and resist the devil. But if you are not a Christian, there is no amount of strength that you can have. There's no amount of confidence that you can have that will be able to save you. You can, though, have the strength. Strength of character, the strength of faith that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had when they faced the fiery furnace. But it's only by coming into contact with the blood of Jesus. It's only by having fellowship with God. So have you done the things to be, be in fellowship with God? Have you, do you believe that He is the Son of the living God? Are you willing to make a confession upon that belief? Repent of the things that He says you need to do away with and be baptized in newness of life into His life. Put the old man to death. And live faithfully. You can have that salvation this morning. If you're subject to the invitation of Christ by any means, please come forward as we stand and as we sing.